Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, we have something very special for our podcast listeners. A recently fired FBI Director Jim Comey gave this exclusive uh, audio clip to rational security of his last interaction with Donald Trump. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Hello and welcome to Rational Security, the Obi-Wan Comey edition. I'm Shane Harris of the Wall Street Journal. That was an intense final meeting Whew. in the Oval Office. Yes. Uh, and 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 you, we broke it here. On you broke it right Security. here. And the best part was when Trump went over to like step on the empty suit on the floor, and there was no body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Susan's like, shut up. <laughs> Who knew that this FBI investigation would bring out our geek factor? Yeah, and who knew you could get a lightsaber into the Oval Office? Um, <laughs> a lot to, to talk about on it's the been podcast. A slow week. It's been a hugely slow. It's actually week. been like like sixteen hours at this yeah. point. Just to put it in <clears> there's one of those, and it's only Wednesday. I've been known to say to people as I've been covering uh, this story, uh, I felt like today was a turning point. Which people say like I've heard you say that like four times. <laughs> I think it is possible to have multiple turning points in a story. And boy, did we have a big, big one yesterday. We're of course recording a podcast the day on Wednesday, the day after. Uh, Donald Trump fired FBI Director Jim Comey. I'm here with my friends Susan Hennessy, Ben Wittes, and Tamara Kaufman-Wittes. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey. So So if you have enough turns, does it just become a death spiral? Yeah. Like, eventually you turn back around to where you began, right? We're going to come full circle eventually. Although Um, where we began was bad, too, so I'm not sure that's good news. Well, we could do over. You know, we'll see. Um, we're going to devote the whole podcast today to talking about Jim Comey's uh, sudden departure from public service. Uh, first, we're going to talk about our reactions to what happened and what it means. Then we're going to dig in a little bit more to the role that Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, played in Comey's sudden departure. And finally, what does this mean for the future of the Russia investigation and the FBI and the rule of law? And, and America. the Republic. And the Republic. Well, I, I do note that the uh, Sergei Lavrov and uh, Ambassador Kislyak were in the White House today measuring the drapes. And um, uh, as, as I understand it, the American press corps was kept out, but the it's Russian true. press corps was allowed in. Is that's that correct. right? Mm-hmm. That is correct. So I think that's a metaphor for everything right there. And Russian press corps, get some better cameras because your picture sucked. It's like, look, if that's all we're going to be able to rely on for the next 90 yeah. years, like it's 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 we'll lend you quality. a camera. I mean, Seriously. Like, do you not have iPhones in Russia? I just, I just want to say everybody to everybody out there, I have five words for you. Storming of the Winter Palace. Woo! <laughs> 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 All right. With that, <laughs> um, Ben, I actually want to start with you, and, and I want to kind of go around and get everybody's 
reactions uh, to this, obviously an historic moment, but um, certainly in a unique context, this firing occurs. Um, so Ben, give us your, you know, your first impressions and sort of how you've been processing this in the, you know, oh, roughly 24 hours now, almost since we've learned the news. Okay. So I'm, I have to say, I'm still completely shocked. Uh, the shock factor has not worn off. Uh, Susan and I, uh, in a in a sort of nightmare kind of way, anticipated this back in in November, right after the election, and we sort of flagged it for Lawfare readers as one of the really scary warning signs if it came to be. Uh, I'm surprised despite myself that it in fact has come to be. I'm very shocked by the conduct of Rod Rosenstein, uh, for whom I had uh, generally high regard prior to yesterday, uh, and whose confirmation I welcomed as a sign of stabilization and and the regular order. Uh, I am also, I, I don't know how to read the congressional reaction, which strikes me as so far kind of uneven. That is, people who I have not necessarily relied upon to be uh, excellent were yesterday excellent, uh, and some people who I had counted on to uh, do the right thing were sort of complacent. And so I'm a little befuddled by the congressional reaction. Uh, and um, I'm amazed by how many people uh, seem to want to treat this as something that, you know, presidents might just choose to do in, in the regular course of business. Uh, so I think it's, you know, it's a very scary situation. Uh, and I think we have yet to sort of figure out what direction it's going to break. Yeah, I mean, I have uh, my thinking is largely similar. I'm still really rather stunned, um, mostly because I I would have expected it to happen right away. It sort of it felt like we had emerged from kind of the danger period of him coming into office and taking this action, and and it sort of felt like well, if he hadn't done it, then then surely he wouldn't do it, right? Vi violate this really important norm. Um, I my sort of this is the first time really since like the election I've had the like the urge to run out into the streets and scream like this is not normal. Um, and seeing at least part of the White House press briefing today and seeing how the White House is presenting this as, oh, it's like an ordinary personnel action. Like the president lost confidence in the FBI director, so he fired him. What's wrong with that? It's perfectly legal. Like That is such a um, warped and manipulative presentation of what has happened. Um, FBI directors serve 10-year terms specifically to guard against sort of the political whims and favors of the president. Um, only one a previous FBI director has been fired. It was under dramatically different circumstances. Uh, Bill Clinton, whenever he took office, uh, several months later fired William Sessions. There had been a sprawling corruption investigation into him. Uh, the move had been endorsed by the Republican uh, attorney general before leaving office. Uh, and Sessions essentially refused to, to resign. And so it was sort of this very unfortunate situation. Even then, it was viewed with a lot of gravity, uh, you know, the, the very a lot of sort of trepidation of just well there's no other choice here you know trump is now presenting it as though like he just well he just fired his fbi director he fired his national security advisor like people get fired all the time and i do have the feeling that this is um this is the this is the turning point this is the erosion of norms that are so central to 
basic governance, basic legitimacy of this office to see that be trampled. And honestly, I I thought we would wake up this morning to calls for impeachment. And the fact that we aren't hearing that, even among the more alarmed people, that people are really sort of acting as well, this makes it more likely we have a special prosecutor. I just, I I feel like, like there's just a real mismatch between the reaction here and what has actually happened. So I... It's interesting to hear you say that, Susan, because like you and Ben, I've been struck by the relatively muted response from the Hill. But as I think about it, my first reaction to the news was, um, I okay, it finally happened. We've been anticipating it for a while. And we've known that Comey's job was on the line for a while. And so I wonder whether some of the muted reaction from Congress is also a sort of, oh, right, we've been waiting for mm-hmm. this shoe to drop, and now it's finally dropped. So they are not responding with shock. Um, and and it seems to me that that's, you know, that's the calculation that the administration was making here, whether they judged it precisely accurately or not. Um, what's curious about this is not the justification, because... Uh, there's already been a lot of debate and critique over the fact that Comey violated norms and procedures of the Justice Department and the way he spoke about the investigation of uh, the Clinton campaign's emails last summer and fall. Um, what's curious about it is the timing. What's surprising about it is the timing. And um, and that's what I think those who are disturbed by this are trying to point out that the timing is what demonstrates uh, that the justification given by the White House is uh, is not is insincere, um, and that's circumstantial evidence. It's precisely the kind of circumstance that it's hard to convey to the American public, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think that there's actually a decent likelihood that the Trump administration is going to get away with this personnel change without paying a significant price. The issue is not going to go away. The investigation is not going to go away. But the political heat, I think, is likely to be tolerable for them. And that upsets me. So I actually think it is unlikely that they're not going to pay a price for this. Um, And uh, here's why, which is that one thing they've done is they've freed up Jim Comey to talk. Mm. And, you know, well, you think put, even on executive privilege stuff? Well, so for one thing, on on certain issues, they've waived executive privilege. If you write a uh, statement that says the FBI director told me three times that I'm not under investigation, uh, that I'm not, you know, uh, then uh, Congress gets to ask the FBI director, is that true? And you don't get to assert executive privilege over those communications. You've waived it. Um, but secondly, there's a there's a more fundamental point, right? When you're the head of the FBI you have to protect classified information. You have to protect investigative materials. And you also have to protect all sorts of interactions that would make your job harder if you didn't protect. They may not be covered by any privilege. They may not be. Uh, but they're the bad stuff that people do every day that uh, some of it's, by the way, can be pretty horrible. Look at uh, Sally Yates's testimony the other day. Once you're out of office... You get to say, uh, I went and told uh, the uh, White House counsel that the national security advisor was uh, compromised by the Russians and uh, he sat on it for 18 days. You don't get to do that when you're still in office. So imagine now the the set of all things that are unclassified, not investigative matters, 
and deeply embarrassing to the president and the White House that may be in the head of Jim Comey. And ask yourself the question, what prevents him from talking about that stuff now? And I think the answer is nothing. Um, And so then ask yourself the question, how large is that set likely to be given that he's been at the helm of the Russia investigation for the last three months while Donald Trump is in office? And my guess is that we have seen only a tiny fraction of the crazy that's going on in this administration. Um, And I also think we have certain evidence of that. For example, the New York Times uh, reported uh, that Comey went – you know, demanded a retraction of the president's tweets um, about being wire space tapped by his predecessor. Now, Comey was incredibly circumspect when he was asked about that while he was in office. I'm not sure he'll be quite so circumspect about it now that he doesn't have uh, specific investigative equities to protect, now that he doesn't have to worry about getting fired, now that he doesn't have to worry about a whole bunch of things. So I think they've bought themselves a huge problem here. And one more thing on this point, one thing we know Jim Comey is really good at is telling his side of the story to Congress. And that is one of the consistent themes of his career dating back to the famous hospital room story. And he has a you know more than 15-year relationship with Chuck Schumer that involves telling his side of the story to Congress. And I, and I, I just think, you know, they bought themselves a very difficult adversary in in the public arena here. I, I agree with you, and 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 I you made that exact that point perfectly. That you know, you give Jim Comey a microphone and a stage, and he will hold you in rapt attention because he is so charismatic. <clears throat> yeah, it's incredible, and everyone wants to know what Jim Comey thinks and what Jim Comey knows. And he may be, in fact, freed to talk about this. I mean, I, I thought in thinking about like the turning point of yesterday. And I wonder if this won't factor a bit into Comey's motivations because he is someone who wants to come forward and do the right thing. And he does see himself, I think, as someone who is not afraid to put himself at the center of the debate and of the action. Um, You know, the president's actions to me, I mean, demonstrated he is capable of anything. I mean, you're really we, we talk a lot about norm breakings. Uh, norms breaking and, and and the various sort of you know things that he's done that have have stunned us. This is qualitatively beyond that, and a demonstration well, and if that you wanted to do it with some credible like story about it. This is the worst possible timing to do it. It's a terrible timing. So I mean, on the one hand, he's capable of doing it. On the other, and as we keep coming back to the as Ben you know has you know set the frame now for all discussions about things in the administration, the malevolence versus incompetence. Although I want to give Mike Pesca credit for his amendment to that, because I think, uh, so in a recent episode of The Gist, Pesca uh, amended malevolence versus tempered by incompetence to malevolence tempered by incompetence, but exacerbated by mendacity. Yeah, okay. And I think that's, uh, I think that's, it's an elegant formulation so, directly well, applicable to You may to in this. fact see that. And so in, 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 if you, you know, think that as many people do, that it was a malevolent act to fire the FBI director, okay, you've got his, it just takes Trump, Trump's letter. You've got that. Mendacity, I find it 
highly unlikely that Jim Comey on three separate occasions told Donald Trump that he was, quote, cleared or not under investigation. Yeah, c- can we just be clear about that? And I say this with no inside knowledge of anything. That did not happen. Yeah, it's, um, it's impossible. That it's part of the president's believe, letter, yeah. I, I will stake everything I have reputationally on the proposition that is a lie. Right. They may have met three times. They may have talked about something. Donald Trump may have brought something up. but I Do- Donald Trump may have been <laughs> told you are not a target of the investigation. You are, But the idea that he's not under, in any sense, under investigation, that there is no yeah. way in hell Jim Comey communicated And a senior administration official went farther with us last night, too, and said that he, the reason that Trump put that in the letter is, uh, I think the quote was, the president wanted to be clear that just because I cleared you, Jim Comey, or you cleared me, Jim Comey, doesn't mean you get a pass. So, I mean, you can see it. Which is just such a bizarre way to right, think about but, the role of the president. Well, and this is, this is I mean, getting to the point of the timing and the actions and all this. I think, you know, the, everyone, of course, no one believes that this was because of Hillary Clinton's email. I don't think Republicans even believe it was because of her email. So what does this do for the administration? It sets them up to now be in the middle of a huge firestorm over, did you just fire the man who was leading the investigation of you and your associates into whether you colluded with Russia? And I don't quite understand. I mean, this is an impulsive president. He, We know he's very thin-skinned. We know that he's reactionary. But it seems to me this is a just a colossally dumb strategic move if what you're trying to do is shut down the investigation unless you believe that by simply removing key people from it you will take the wind out of the sails which maybe he's right but from my from an optics standpoint i mean my gosh it seems like the last thing that you would want to do as the investigations into you are heating up and things are starting to leak out about them. Well, so I think there's two things. One, to respond to your immediate point, um, it's the last thing you want to do unless there's something worse, right? Unless allowing, unless you know that allowing the investigation to continue ends worse for you or worse for your family. Um, so it it actually might be a totally rational choice on the, on the part of Donald Trump. We don't know yet. Um, I, I think it's already, uh, there's like, there's a like framing bias or an anchor bias issue um, that like we've all, we already immediately accepted um, because they offered a clearly pretextual rationale, right? This was not about, this was sort of their attempt to be cute. You don't and, think this was about protecting the it's honor and civil liberties of Hillary Clinton. To Hillary Clinton. Yes, I, I don't believe that. Okay, just um, checking. But I think that the, we're sort of we're skipping we're skipping a step, which is the the offered rationale is not a reason to fire an FBI director. It doesn't even come close to the reason to fire an FBI director. Like this is this is a monumental decision. And so by already sort of saying, well, I mean, you know, if he if he after five months decided he actually was irritated about what he did and was concerned and no, you know, well, he came to this realization, that would be okay. Of course, if it was this Russia stuff, that would be really ugly. No, no, no. On any set of facts, this is a an egregious decision for President Trump to have made. Then if we are, uh, whenever we dig even deeper into the idea that it actually is this malevolent, obstructive intention, 
And one that I actually think will work. Certainly, it's going to slow down the investigation. Certainly, it's going to throw it into some degree of chaos. By the way, not just this investigation, but any other number of things, high profile or important investigations with the, which the director of the FBI was sort of spearheading. The other point is sort of the, um, and this is a point Carrie Cordero made last night. We did a sort of an emergency podcast at nine o'clock. Um, you know, she made the point that, hey, if, if this was true and you really were, you just lost confidence, you wouldn't, you'd go to him and you'd say, we've lost confidence. We think you should step down. Help us transition. You don't like announce it through TV in this completely chaotic way that's incredibly damaging to DOJ to, to the FBI. Send your bodyguard to hand deliver the letter firing. Well, but the, but that to some extent is just who Trump is and how he does things. And again, I think we have to we have to recognize that the public and members of Congress and a lot of people have priced that in. So the stuff that is so deeply shocking to you about violation of norms or, you know, ways to do things with greater decorum or with more care for institutions, that's baked into who this guy is before you even get to what his actual calculus may be. I will um, I will wrap this up to move on to, to Rosenstein, but I will note without outing him that um, a friend who is a congressional staffer, a very, very conservative uh, staffer uh, for a very conservative member, uh, did write last night um uh gorsuch wasn't worth it mm. <laughs> wow wow uh, okay let's talk about rod rosenstein we need to talk about rod we need to talk about rod, rod. so um for those who haven't maybe followed this particular level of of the detail uh the i guess you would say the <laughs> use the colorful metaphor the uh the sword that was used to cut off jim comey's head was fashioned by rod rosenstein a2 rod <laughs> The deputy attorney general, uh, who's been in the job for about two weeks, <clears throat> it was a memo that Rod Rosenstein wrote to the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, dated yesterday. We should note that. Um, uh, essentially laying out the argument for how the case that Jim Comey had behaved quite poorly and had violated all kinds of norms and procedures and regulations in the way that he spoke about the Clinton email case. Um, uh, it, I mean, it, it fairly, you know, it read to me like kind of a kind of a slapdash op-ed uh, or kind of lifts of grievances. But he went through all of the quotes from a bipartisan array of people saying, look, we don't approve of what Jim Comey did. Uh, it tended to echo a lot of what we've been hearing in our newsroom from sources that people in DOJ and FBI, some of them were very frustrated with the way he's been handling this. He has personally spoken at length about this in public. Um and then you get to the end of it, and Rod Rosenstein doesn't exactly say, I think you should fire Donald Trump, but it seems pretty clear the import, or, sorry, <laughs> slip of the tongue, fire Jim Comey, but it does, the import of it, I think, is fairly clear, and it was meant to be a persuasive argument that Jim Comey is not capable of continuing to credibly lead the FBI. So we're not exactly sure of the sequence, but it's starting to come out that apparently Donald Trump, in a meeting with Rosenstein, asked him to write up a memo on this subject. Senator Dianne Feinstein has said this publicly now. That gets written. Jeff Sessions quickly writes a one paragraph or so letter saying, I concur with everything Rod said. I think you should fire the, attorney, the FBI director. And then Donald Trump fires the FBI director. And this appears to happen, at least on paper, in the span of about you know an afternoon. Um, so, Ben, I mean, the letter. Uh, re react. <laughs> well, this is actually the part of the whole thing that is most shocking to me. So I, I've known Rod Rosenstein since the late 1990s uh, when I was a young reporter and he was uh, working uh, 
for the Ken Starr investigation. Um, I have always thought of him as a career, uh, serious-minded career law enforcement. He has worked at relatively senior Senate-confirmed levels in both Republican and Democratic administrations. Obama kept him on as U.S. attorney in Maryland. Uh, and I was delighted and uh, really considered it a reassuring sign when he was named deputy attorney general. And I uh, made assured lots of people, including Susan and Quinta, that nothing too terrible would happen in the Justice Department with Rod Rosenstein. As, Boy, are you as, in trouble. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I mean, you know, every now and then you get one really wrong. And, and I thought I had a read on this guy. And so there are a few things about this memo that are completely shocking. One is the op-ed-like quality that you describe. It really does read like it was kind of written for a uh, I don't know, a, a sort of opinion writing workshop at a third rate university. Um, and the second is that it shows no sign of him having talked to Comey about any of the allegations or suggestions that uh, form the basis for the recommendation. Uh, now, this is particularly weird in light of something that Susan said earlier, which is that, you know, if you look at the removal of Sessions, uh, it was preceded by a major investigation by the Office of Professional Responsibility. And that was a, a very damning, you know, many 160 dozens, page, 160 pages. Page I mean, we I should note here there is an inspector general investigation ongoing right. into Jim Comey's Exactly. Actions. And this, there is actually a process going on. Uh, in which, uh, you know, we've talked about it before on the show. The OIG is looking at this incident and they didn't wait for that. They didn't seem to have talked to Comey about it or the whole thing wouldn't have taken him by surprise the way it appears to have done. Uh, and then the final element of it is that, that I, I just find personally shocking is that the guy didn't have the cojones to put his actual recommendation in the document. And, you know, lots of people seem to be letting him off the hook for that. Well, he didn't quite recommend that Comey be fired. Actually, if you read the last paragraph of it, uh, what he did is he recommended that Comey be fired while preserving the ability to claim he didn't recommend that Comey be fired, that he was just doing an analysis. So I think it is, it is, it's a, it's a bad document it's a cowardly document, and it's a document that didn't take account of uh, that didn't take account of or in seek to investigate or explore the allegations that it was forming judgment on. And it was the last thing I expected from somebody like Rod Rosenstein. And may God have mercy on your soul. Seriously, mic when drop ben from Ben. That's um, all I got. Yeah. And and look, I think that it goes to the short the short circuiting of process that you just described. I think goes to the norm violating nature of this administration, and um, and precisely what's hard to explain to people who are not steeped in the norms of Washington about why this is so awful and so shocking. Um, but I also think that that Rod Rosenstein's role here is illustrative of something that we've talked about on the podcast a number of times during the transition and the early part of the of the administration back in January, which is the risk 
uh, to individuals or the dilemmas that individuals thinking about serving in a Trump administration might face. Okay, so it seems from the reporting that has come through so far that Trump or the White House asked Sessions to come up with reasons um, why Comey's dismissal might be uh, justifiable and that Rod Rosenstein's memo was written in response to that request. Um, so there are a couple of possibilities here. One is that Rod Rosenstein, you know, uh, took this job with some high-minded goals. Maybe he thought to himself, you know, I'm a believer in the rule of law and the integrity of the department. And, it, you know, by becoming deputy attorney general, I can protect those things best. Uh, and so I'm going to go inside the belly of the beast and do the best I can to uphold, you know, the Constitution and the rule of law. Okay, then what happened here? Right. Um, and in that case, there's probably some sort of tortured self-justification that he might put forward. Um, but the other possibility is just that he he uh, was willing to go in and be a loyal soldier. And if challenge will say, well, I was following orders. Um, and, you know, I I think that I'd like to believe the former rather than the latter. Um but I think that even if one goes into a government, an administration like this with the best of intentions, as we've discussed before, once you're there in the belly of the beast, how do you know when it's the right time to shoot that one bullet in your gun, pull that resignation letter out of the drawer of your desk and put it down on your boss's desk? Ben. Okay. I, 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 this goes back to a conversation that we all have been having since November 8th. And I want to say – and I, I don't say this with any glee in my heart. I like Rod. I wish we were having this conversation about somebody else. But uh, the the answer to that question is when you you need to do that, even if it's the second week of your tenure, the day you cannot continue in office with honor if you don't. And what Rod did in this situation was not decent. It was not honorable. So and And the point at which somebody – like me, who likes you and who thinks you're a, basically a good person, uh, is going to go on a podcast and say, uh, actually, you had an obligation to behave decently and honorably, and you passed it up. You missed that opportunity. That's the point at which you bring out that letter of recommend, re resignation. Okay, so, so let's... I, so let's Take a step back. So I also am um, uh, shocked by the conduct. Um, I don't know Rosenstein well. I've met him once or twice. Um, uh, but also, you know, looking over the course of his career, someone of tremendous integrity, find this to be, for all the reasons Ben stated, just a really kind of unbelievable memo. Um, that said, uh, for the purpose of intellectual exercise, um, uh, so you are Rod Rosenstein, um, and you, like many people, uh, disagreed with Jim Comey's conduct, right? Um, you thought that he shouldn't have gone, made this public statement, um, that it actually had sort of um, uh, harmed the integrity of the invest of the of the FBI, right? You have these sort of concerns. Um, you know, maybe you uh, think removing the FBI director is a very significant decision, but ultimately one for the president. Um, you're confirmed as the deputy attorney general, um, and you are asked to write a memo um, articulating your views on this particular episode. Um, assuming that everything Rosenstein said in his memo was 
accurate in the sense of what he believed about that episode. Um, what are his, the notion that he didn't know the, what this was going to be used for is sort of strains belief. But how are we supposed to sort of think about, right, is his obligation to see the writing on the wall and say, if you fire Jim Comey, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm going to resign or um, I'm not going to put pen to paper for anything that's in service of this or I'm going to go to the press. Like, what is the... Right. So sort of I, I completely agree there's a level of cowardice and sort of pushing it off yourself. But it's, but sort of inverting that into right, what is the minimal professional responsibility of like, well, I said what I believe to be true in this document. What what does what does one who wants to be ethical and honorable do in that circumstance? Well, number one, one who wants to be honorable does not couch a recommendation for firing in language that is designed to create plausible deniability. So we've talked about this last paragraph. Let's actually read what he said. I agree. Although the president has the power to remove an FBI director, the decision should not be taken lightly. I agree with the nearly unanimous opinions of former Justice Department officials. The way the director handled the conclusion of the email investigation was wrong. As a result, the FBI is unlikely to regain public and congressional trust until it has a director who understands the gravity of the mistakes and pledges never to repeat them. Having refused to admit his errors, the director cannot be expected to implement the necessary corrective actions. So what he says here is it's a weighty decision. I agree that he did wrong. We need a director who, who acknowledges that he didn't do wrong. That, that, that he did wrong and does corrective action, and Jim Comey is not that guy. Now, here's what I think. If you believe in good faith that Jim Comey should be removed, you should say that. If you're not prepared to say that, you should not participate in the charade um, of pretend of building the case so that somebody else can take responsibility for it. Uh, and you should say what you said earlier, which is he did wrong, he fucked up, and it's not a firing offense what he did. You know, I, I think it gets to precisely that challenge when you're sitting in the chair. Um, you are answerable to your bosses. You're answer answerable to your conscience. And you try to square the circle. And I can, I can come up with a half dozen uh, rationalizations for writing that last paragraph the way he did, none of which, of course, avoid the situation that occurred this morning at 930 when Senator Mitch McConnell went on the floor of the Senate and said that it was Rod Rosenstein's recommendation to fire mm -hmm. the attorney general or even that it was his decision, I think, was the word that he used. Um, you know, it, so from the outside, of course, it is patently obvious. Uh, but from from inside, it may not be so obvious. And I think that's inherent to the uh, the situation. It's inherent to the dilemma faced by these individuals that are sitting in these chairs. And it's precisely why it is so morally fraught, so dangerous for people of good conscience to enter into these kinds of jobs in the Trump administration. And it's why Elliot Cohen warned against it. Um, it's why we've talked about it so much. And to me, this is a perfect illustration of why those people should be saying no. All right, let's finally move on. <clears throat> Our last segment here. Um, 
want to talk about what this means for the future going forward. So let, let's start in the in the the, the near future and the uh, perhaps more digestible uh, example of the Russia probe before we talk about the broader sense of what this means for the Bureau. Um, obviously, the FBI has been running a counterintelligence investigation into possible collusion between various Trump associates and the Russians. Uh, the Senate and the House are pursuing their inquiries as well, but really the FBI is sort of where all of the energy is and the thrust is in this in terms of whether any criminal charges might actually be brought. So what does removing Jim Comey do to that investigation? He obviously, there were other people below him on an operational level who were running it, but he was very closely involved in it, we're told. Uh, and obviously this is a major shock to the system, right? Uh, and on some level, I suppose, is sending a message. So, I mean, Susan, what does this do in the immediate term for that investigation? Is it is it hobbled or will it go forward? Well, it, it probably throws, it probably um, a, has a substantial period of delay, right? An effect of, of delaying lots and lots of stuff um, just while people sort of get their bearings. Um, one, hope it, one hopes it does not have a chilling effect, but it certainly might for other people who are working on this investigation, realizing that if even the FBI director can be filed, fired for a clearly pretextual reason, then what's to protect anybody else? Um, I think over the long term, we probably do end up seeing something like special counsel, special prosecutor. It's, it's really difficult to imagine um, a, another type of resolution, although like we should be candid that all bets are off in terms well, of- Mike McConnell or Mitch McConnell dug in pretty hard against that. Right. I, I, that's He's not the final say here, right? I mean, this is sort of the- uh, the notion that this would be politically tolerable is just it, it sort of it defies belief. And, and if that's the case, um, we've got bigger issues going on in terms of real institutional systematic failures that are happening. Um, you know, in the larger sense, the, the big question is sort of who comes in next. Um, if you don't have someone driving these investigations, um, especially over an obstructionist White House, um, have someone who's 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 making it a priority, um, you know, giving it visibility ensuring that it's properly resourced, um, uh, saying that he will protect the people that, are, that have to make these choices, right? There's just, there's an element of, um, of shielding uh, people below him, right? You notice that Jim Comey is always the person who's out testifying. They're, they're not sort of deputies or other people that are, that are being asked to answer these questions, even in sort of closed testimony. Um, you know, if you don't have someone like that at the helm, I, I think it's really hard. So I, I don't think that, you know, the next person come, can come in and and kill the investigation outright and just say, you know, forget it. We're not going to look into that. But I think you can cripple it by prioritizing leaks investigations, by moving people off of the case, by by just, you know, sort of slowly messaging that the, the intention of the Bureau is that it doesn't go anywhere. What do you think, tomorrow? Well, look, I, I think the politics here are important, and I'm I'm mindful that the first wave of congressional reaction may not be the ultimate congressional right. reaction. Well, especially think, as we learn more, too. Yeah. As we learn more, um, as Comey might, you know, begin to speak uh, more to members of congressmen more openly, and, and as members of Congress go home for recess. And, you know, I think back to the debate over the health care bill and the way that all fell apart, and what happened is that members went home, and they were deluged by constituent concerns. Um, and I think that, unfortunately, that's very unlikely to happen here. Uh, you know, it, although the, the concerns here are significant, they're not the kinds of things that mobilize the grassroots. 
the White House, I think, calculated correctly that a lot of Democrats were so pissed off at Democrats in the base, I mean, not members of Congress, were so pissed off at Jim Comey uh, because of what they believe he did to Hillary Clinton that they're not going to shed any tears mm-hmm. over him. And so I don't, you know, I think that this first wave of congressional reaction might hold. Um, I'm not optimistic. Uh, that pressure is going to build for a special prosecutor. And I'm also not optimistic that even if pressure builds, um, that the Justice Department will go there. You know, I think the fact that Sessions, uh, who had supposedly recused himself uh, from this issue, um, was willing to go ahead and, and make the recommendation to the president um, says to me that he's willing to insert himself when he thinks it really matters. Well, and ultimately, Rosenstein would be making the decision about a special prosecutor and has not uh, held himself to a high standard thus well, far. Well, right. Although one of the one of the arguments that's being made, you know, in uh, to the benefit of Rosenstein's reputation here is that you know he knew that his uh, helping bring down Comey would put more pressure on him well, to appoint a special prosecutor. I mean, it's a theory, um, but I I just don't see the politics domestically as pushing ultimately for really getting to the bottom of this Russia issue. And I I truly, truly worry about that. Not, you know, not for political reasons, but for the health of our republic and for our ability to understand and counter what the Russians are doing globally, which is deeply, deeply troubling. Ben, what do you think for the the probe and and the bureau too? Well, so I think uh, two things. One is that the political valence of the story of Comey's firing will affect the answer to the future question. So if the story that McConnell presented this morning is proves to be defensible or even arguable that, you know, Rod Rosen, there was a kind of bottoms up uh, concern about Comey and it's pervasive at the Justice Department and the deputy attorney general went to the attorney general and he wrote a memo and they took it to the president and the president with sadness in his heart and respect for Comey's service, uh, decided in the interests of the institution of the department, he had to uh, replace him. That that makes me feel slightly nauseous. Just your articulation of that. Well, I mean that, but that's the story, right? And and if that story has any legs, then. Uh, Donald Trump will name an FBI director and there'll be some Democratic grumbling and there'll be a party line vote to confirm that person and it'll be uh, – and the future of the Russia investigation and there will be no special prosecutor uh, and the future of the Russia investigation will uh, founder or not on the strength of that person's integrity and protection of the bureau. Uh, on the other hand, um, if – People, uh, as I, you, if people react to that as what I call errant national security horseshit or ench, um, <laughs> and uh, they decide that, you know, the timing here, the optics here, the fact that this appears to have been a top-down thing, not a bottoms-up thing, and that Donald Trump appears to have called Rod Rosenstein and said, "Serve me up a memo." Uh, for firing Jim Comey, and it appears to be entirely driven by Russia, 
uh, matters, uh, then I think you may get a very different reaction in the Senate, particularly among those conservative senators and Republican senators who are actually concerned about the Russia stuff. Um, and I do think the reaction of, of Burr yesterday was interesting and significant. Um, and so I think a lot really depends on what the narrative that develops over the next few weeks are. And, and look, if you have a block of Republican senators who are demanding a special prosecutor, uh, there's going to be a special prosecutor. And if you have a, blo a, a block of Republican senators that is demanding a serious congressional investigation, there's going to be a serious congressional investigation. So I think the question is very much in play. And a lot of it, frankly, depends on what Comey has to say what the journalism shows. I, I, I don't underestimate all the, on you, Shane. the importance of the We're journalism you, here, what we learn over the next few days. Uh, and uh, I think the, 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 what, what direction the, the narrative tips. Yeah, yeah so I, I agree. I think it is going to be narrative shaping and um, uh, right, this, the, the top down versus bottom up is, is I think the right um, sort of options in terms of what the possibilities might look like. I, the, the contrast is, of course, um, Bill Clinton's relationship with Louis Free, who he hired uh, to replace William Sessions, um, notoriously adversarial, really kind of went after him. And, I covered that relationship. And he tolerated it, right? So sort of the, the counterexample of a Clinton putting up with a um, uh, an unfriendly FBI director. The other thing that I think ed might end up being significant here is the reaction of the FBI rank and file. Um, so there's been a little bit of an attempt out of the White House to frame this as if uh, the general FBI had like lost confidence in Comey. Um, that's not consistent with other sort of uh, narratives and nor my perception of how the Bureau uh, received him. Uh, uh, although obviously he's had a complex tenure, um, uh, he did seem like a director who was perceived as sort of going to the mat for his people and, and really thinking about the institution first. And those tend to be pretty well-liked, well-respected directors. Um, it's notable he was fired while, while speaking to FBI agents in Los Angeles. So I do think that if that rank and file bureau uh, uh, decides that the narrative that's coming out is not accurate um, through conversations with the press, through other mechanisms, they, they will also be sort of critical in shaping that story. So if we were writing the movie script yeah. of this Kremlin Gate investigation, there would be a mid-level career FBI uh, employee who would be sort of the unit head for the investigation and who would be willing to go up against her bosses and go around the devious White House uh, politicos, right? And it would be like uh, like Harrison Ford in the Tom Clancy yeah. books, right? Um, and and if that's you know if that's what we're counting on, <laughs> I think we might be in trouble. There are a lot of things about this presidency that remind me of Hollywood, but I'm just not willing to put my faith in that script. I'll just say that Susan is uh, exactly right, and but maybe understating the point. Um, so nobody pulls FBI agents, of course, um, or the FBI rank and file. But you know, Comey was a, was a very controversial figure in political circles for obvious reasons. And there are a lot of Justice Department officials who, you know, who think he did not behave in accord with the highest traditions of the department in 2016. Uh, that is not the perception of him in the bureau. Hmm. 
Uh, and he is a deeply admired figure in the Bureau. He's somebody who uh, inspires an enormous amount of loyalty uh, and among people who've worked for him in all kinds of different areas of life. Uh, and I, I think to the extent that the rank and file of the Bureau uh, have have any role in the discussion, which will obviously be in the form of, you know, in some form other than, you know, expressing their views in poll data, um, uh, that will be a wild card that will not play in Trump's favor. I will make one prediction, which is that this is not the end of uh, Jim Comey's role, uh, place in American history books. Like this is this is not the last mention of Jim Comey. Uh, he ain't going out for like better that. or worse. Strike me down, and I will come back more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Well, and and we note that Obi Wan is a character in the later movies. In yeah, cor- in corporate, perhaps. But um, let's move on to object lessons. I actually have an object that I want to share. As we prepare for end times, oh, no. we all need to think about <laughs> stockpiling, perhaps growing our own food, rationing, or like me, you can just engage in the wonders of vegetable gardening and have a you bounty have, to sustain you. You have a victory garden? Uh, yeah, it's my own little <laughs> victory garden. And here's my first victory, my little tribute, my first radish of the spring. Aww, wow. It's so delicious. Isn't it nice? Yeah. <laughs> My great-grandfather, my mother always used to tell me, had a victory garden during World War II and rant, grew radishes as well. But uh, she said he was contemptuous of the idea of thinning them. Oh, um, so this is a very – okay. And okay. so when they grew, they were, you know, like like these very narrow, long, uh, radishes, long yeah. ra- inedible, basically, radishes yeah. – you gotta um, get those radishes moving, unless they're like the breakfast kind that go down. You gotta let them spread out. Yeah. You gotta uh, sacrifice you, some radishes for the sake for the, of for the that. larger bounty yes. of the harvest. <laughs> yeah, I have an object lesson. Okay. Um, so um, one of the uh, great things about living in Washington D.C. is we have all these old buildings. Um, like many of which have sort of inscribed messages on them. And I feel like at different moments, I've like looked up and looked at buildings and like there's been this message that felt like very profound in the moment. Of course, they all are sort of generic and profound. Um, So this morning when I was coming to the office and just like, really feeling like a little bit overwhelmed. I walked by the National Archives building, which I've walked by hundreds of times. It's my favorite. Um, And on the side of the building, it says, and I just like happened to glance up and I was like thinking like, is this the end of like American institutions? And on the wall of this building, it says, this building holds in trust the records of our nation, of our national life and symbolizes our faith in the permanence of our, of our national institutions. Um, And I just like, this city is a miserable swamp, but Literally, but I love it, and I love its buildings, and I feel like it's uh, it has little messages for you if you look up. Uh, and this was the one I was just grateful to have this morning. So thank you, National Archives. Can I tell and, you my favorite that's on the outside mm-hmm. of the archives? This is like my it's like my journalist credo: eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what the Trump uh, budget for FY twenty eighteen <laughs> does to the <laughs> National Sam Archives. This place. Bye bye. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was trying to end on a hopeful <laughs> So my object lesson uh, is hanging on the wall there. It is not yet framed. Uh, uh, at the end of last year, um, uh, I uh, tested for my black belt in Aikido, uh, which uh, unlike my 
prior uh, black belt exams, which were in Taekwondo, uh, when they when the the Aikido black belt award has to be done in Tokyo, and so it uh, took uh, three or four months before the diploma for my Aikido black belt showed up. Uh, but it showed up from Tokyo the other day, and it is a hand calligraphed uh, diploma. It's 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 really quite beautiful. It's really um, lovely. And compared to uh, my, so I'm the only one of the only Brookings scholars who has no advanced degree. And so, like all Brookings, I, I beg scholars, your pardon. You have a second degree black belt right, in so, Taekwondo. So, like all black Brookings scholars, I hang my diplomas of my advanced degrees in my office, and I frame them. Only in my case, they're all black belts. Um, and so uh, on my wall now is uh, my Aikido black belt as well as my uh, two Taekwondo black belts. Uh, and uh, I need to get it a frame. Can nice. we call you Benjamin Son now? Uh, uh, that sounds really pretentious. Okay. Ben um, While we're talking about advanced degrees, we should probably note that we um, we are hiring an associate editor. So, Jim Comey, you're looking for a gig? <laughs> Just give us a call. <laughs> but are you a good writer? We need to see. I, a we need a writing sample. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> we we have we've run we a couple of writing have, samples you know of his, what? and they That's required true. very little editing. So um, I think his very writing clean is up to coffee snuff, that <laughs> comes out of Jim Comey. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Rational Security is, of course, a production of Spaghetti on the Wall Productions. You can find our show archive at spaghettionthewallproductions.com. Please follow us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at RATL Security. When you download the podcast, please leave leave a big review. Leave a second degree black belt review. Leave an Obi-Wan Comey review. Obi-Wan Comey. Send messages to Jim Comey. Yes. Send messages to Obi-Wan. He will find you in the podcatcher. <laughs> <laughs> our audio engineer is Quinta Jurassic. Our show is produced and edited by Jen Howell. Our music is performed this week by Rod Rosenstein and the Poison Pens. Ooh, Ooh, good. Nice. That's good. Yeah, it sounds like a, like, a like, culty, thrashy, emo metal. <laughs> <laughs> playing in rod some... and the a2s <laughs> <laughs> of course our music is performed by sophia yan who would only write lovely letters of support for you if you were her friend and never i mean she would never stab you in the back with a memo about how you did not behave in the, the highest memo. traditions Oof. of the piano playing world <clears throat> On behalf of my good friend Susan Hennessy, Tamar Kaufman-Wittis, and Ben Wittis, I'm Shane Harris. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. Mm. 